podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And welcome to May and indeed the very last red alert of the season for Anfield Index. It's been pretty much a disastrous season, but there is a a few hopes, potential that we can take into the summer. And we certainly hope Jürgen, Schmacker, Hunter Fallows, etc. are very busy in this period. So I'm your normal host, Dave Davis, coming to you from... It's not as warm as it's been the last few days. It's a bit overcast, but it's still not cold. But a nice Edinburgh. We'll just call it nice, simple as that. I am pleased to be joined by my normal cohort, Mark Evans. Mark, how are we? Very well, mate. And happy birthday to you. I know she didn't announce that there. It's, uh, what is it, 46 today? Yeah, you can round down if you cheeky get, so to speak. But yeah, indeed. It's a, a birthday that... To be honest, the Reds have not given us too much to celebrate in recent times and not today. However, however, I'm saying that the way Twitter's going in the rumours, there may be good things to come. So we'll talk about those, ladies and gents. So it'll be the normal format. We'll talk about May's results. We'll even look at the annual awards because we are at the end of the season. So it's appropriate that there's at least some silverware type goes to some people. We'll talk about the transfer window and our predictions, which... Some people, if it's not me, are looking at a horror show as it speaks. And we'll talk about recent quotes as well from the manager and other people. So, Mark, might as well start with May. I mean, Christ, I'll throw this over to you to start with. So I'll look at the results. We'll look at the Fulham 1-0, Brentford 1-0, the penalties, the rinse repeats from Mo Salah. We then go away to Leicester and win 3-0. And then in the last game for the likes of Bobby, Ox, Cater and Milner, it's a one-all draw at home against Aston Villa and pretty much the Champions League's gone. And then it's the mental four-all last day of the season away at Southampton. I mean, Christ, I'm glad you're starting on this one. How are you honestly summing up that month, truth be told? <laughs> it's a tough month to sum up because the last couple of games, obviously, once the Champions League was gone, Southampton's a hard one to take anything from. You know, one of those mad ones where it, it really isn't going to affect anything going forward or back. You know, yeah. it just was what it was. One of those crazy days. Uh, we started the month with, uh, you know, still hopes of the Champions League. And we got three wins on the bounce. Like you said, 1-0 Fulham. Salah put his penalty hoodoo to rest, which was... A nice one to get out of the way. Uh, another 1-0. Salah gets a goal against Brentford. Really not much to report in that game. There were a couple of big misses from uh, both Gakpo and Nunes. Uh, a pretty pretty tame game, really. And then probably the, the highlight of the month was the, the Leicester game there, the 3-0. 
two lovely goals from Curtis Jones, maybe his best ever display in a in a Liverpool shirt. I don't know if, yeah. don't know if you agree with that. It was a pretty, pretty special game for Jones. He, he, I think he actually called it himself after the game, didn't he? That it was you know his, maybe his best day in red. Yeah, uh, and a Trent wonder goal as well to uh, to seal that one. And then, to be honest, results had already stopped going our way kind of thing in, in the other fixtures with Newcastle and United. And even if we had beat Villa, it was starting to feel like it was gone anyway. And uh, the Villa game was last sort of hope for us in that regard. And it was one of those really, really mad, frustrating games. Uh, referee got everything wrong. Should have been a red card for them. Uh, we We just... Didn't get going at all. We barely laid a glove on them. I don't think we hit the target in the first half. Um, yeah, all, all sorts, all sorts didn't go right. The only thing that did go right really was Bobby coming on and and giving us that last sort of lovely Bobby moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of kind of special thing that you know football is brilliant at delivering those little sort of almost scripted moments. And, uh, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed that one. And then the, the, the kind of, I mean, the, the sort of goodbye for Bobby starting the Leicester game, didn't it? They were, you know, they were singing his name for like nearly 10 minutes straight at the end of it as he was sitting behind the bench and sort of smiling away. And then we got his little, uh, his late cameo against Villa and his, his goal. And then he goes and gets another goal at Southampton. Really kind of beautiful way to wave goodbye to an absolute legend for Liverpool. If uh, if I was going to sum the month up with anything, I think it would, that will be the the lasting memory of the month was was the way we got to wave goodbye to Bobby. What do you think? Yeah, it's a it's a real tough one. It, it, in typical Liverpool this season, it genuinely had a bit of everything. What yeah. and this is a typical false dawn, false hope from Liverpool, but especially the first two games, then Fulham and Brentford. Once. Like you said, there was just nothing to them. But that's okay. We've historically had those games. It's just about winning them. Whether it's it, it was very Premier League winning format. Yeah. Back to the season where we did win it. We scraped so many in exactly that fashion. Just a 1-0. Didn't really look like losing it either, though. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, it, was yeah. like it was a loose win. Uh, just a really business-like performance came, did what we were supposed to do, and left with the points. Indeed. And then, like... The Leicester one, he's easily the best performance of the month. Not that there's sort of a, a high rate of competition, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but like you said, Curtis Joe, superb. Trent, you know, exceptional. And again, it's like, right, we're on the run. We're moving. Great. And you're just looking for that sort of, because momentum's everything in them type of races. We know that. We've been there. You're just looking for some sort of kicks of light, something to happen. And to be fair, you you said exactly what I was thinking it just wasn't coming, was it? Newcastle were beating the opposition, even that, you know, the Brighton game we'd pin, pinpointed, all those types of things. We were just not getting results to go our way to be like, this is it. This is really you, you, it. So you get that kind of feeling in football sometimes, you know, when it's going for you, when the momentum is yours kind of thing. And I just never, ever really got that feeling back this season. And we were on great form, you know, we had won, whatever it was, seven in a row. And uh, I still just didn't think it was going to happen for us, you know, and, I think you can just feel if 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 it's going to go your way, even like you go back to all these classic seasons in the in the Premier League and hunting teams down. You do get a feel when it's when it's your time, you know, when it's coming for you, sort of thing. And I just never this time. I fancied Newcastle and United to to go and do what they what they ultimately did, and and it, it wasn't that close in the end, if we're honest. You know, yeah. they, 
they, uh, they they did what they had to do, you know. And ultimately, if we're honest, they deserve to to be in the. You know, we we didn't deserve a Champions League space this season. It would have True. been it would have been a real gift if they had given it to us at the end. We, you, we, I mean, if you look down the results of the games we didn't win this season, it's it's laughable. It really is. Like you just don't deserve it on that kind of form. Yeah, there's been some horror shows, and even that. Even that Villa first half. Now it was a it was a great day. The sun was shining. Everyone was feeling it. Last home game of the season. I just felt the occasion overtook the game, as in the the Bobby, the other players' send offs. The you know, it, they didn't really seem, and even from the team, a mad focus. They were pretty abject in the first half. And yes, Villa were throwing themselves over, time wasting from the first minute. You know, the ref was not penalty, penalty giveaway kind of summed it up. Yeah. You know the sort of the slack nature of it. You know, it's a guy who's probably one of the few plus columns of the season, and uh, that was just really, really poor. And it summed up, you know, how abject we'd been in every department. Really, we hadn't done much going forward. We were we were giving away the odd chances. They were catching us on the break, and when he gave that pen away, even though they they never went on to score it, it just felt like kind of that it summed up the way the day was going to go for us. Hundred percent, and then even in the the second half, still at the tail of the season. Yes, we get something from Bobby. It's brilliant. It's an unbelievable moment, and there's yeah. still that hope, even though it's late. Like, come on, we can keep this going. But in another typical style of the season, it's a one-all draw, and you kind of know it. Like, it, it's gone. It's dead in the water, pretty much there. And like yeah. you said, you come to the last game, and. Dear Christ, he's a dead rubber, so you've got to put it in that context, first of all. But the the second stringers, we'll call them, the reserves, the backups, whatever you want to describe them as, Christ, they didn't half fail the audition, did they? Some of them, let's be honest. So yeah, I, mean, normal? I, I said that you can't take much from that game. Actually, that's not true, because what you're saying is right. I mean, if, if you're judging it on anything, it's the fact that kind of what we've come to realise all season is that there are some guys in the squad whose legs have plainly just gone. And if you put too many of them back in together at the same time, we look just like that abject side that that we saw in the early parts of the season, a side that looked like they can barely be any Premier League team, let alone, you know, challenge for the top honours. And uh, in particular, you know, guys like Matip, they just... I don't know what it is that's happened. You know, you see, you read these things of kind of have they been running to the ground because they're not old enough to to look quite as as burst as they do. But some of them just look gone. They really do. Like if if they never played for Liverpool again, you know, it, I don't think many of us would miss the the current level of performance. Yeah, is it, and even in that last game, well, and, and you, it is. It was a dead rubber, and that is context. That is crucial, but. As the game, the second string didn't do their job. And my biggest disappointment from that was, and there was still positive, don't get me wrong, the normal people came on, we did the normal Trent to Gapo at the back post goal. There's still a few positives, but it was a shop window for some players. Let's be honest, some you know, us fans are hoping, like, just have a good game because we'll get a few million for you type of thing, maybe extra. And you watch that game. Dear God, I think a few million dropped off a few players' values even further. Yeah, certainly didn't go up in value. (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. So it was kind of a horror show. But we have to be honest, that last last game of the season, and again, the last few games of the season, it's been desperate at times. It's been dismal. Yes, there's been sort of green shoots of recovery here and there. There's been hopes. The attacks where you're looking, and again, you saw that against Southampton, but 
yeah, he's definitely not a final month to write home about. And I mean, we've talked about players to death there and let's try and be a bit positive about it because there were some, you know, good performances overall. Who have you got as your player of the month for May? Not an easy question. Yeah, it's not. There's, I mean, there were various positives to the month, like you were saying. You know, I, I thought Gakpo did some good stuff this month. He played out of position kind of in the maybe a more advanced eight sort of role while other forwards were coming on. I thought there, there were plenty of bits in the, maybe not just in May, but in the last couple of months from him that leave us kind of with a lot to look forward to going forward. I thought Curtis Jones had another good month. I think he's really, uh, of all the guys, he'll be going into the pre-season now with, with something to prove, something to kind of fight for. He'll feel like that spot's maybe there for him now if he, you know, if he can go and play him at another yeah. guy's in to challenge him. But there's no doubt, you know, how he feels now versus how he felt, you know, around Christmas time when he was barely making squads. Uh, he, he's got to be over the moon, really, with his kind of April and May. Yeah. Uh, I thought Salah had another... It's, it's funny to say they had a good month because he missed a lot of chances in May. He could have, yeah. you know, he could have, he could have ended up on four or five more goals than he did. Some proper guilt-edged ones as well. But I still think he had a pretty good month. You know, he had uh, he got the assist for Bobby in the in the Villa game. Goals against Fulham and Brentford uh, came very close against Southampton. Uh, I think he got the assist on the Trent free kick against Leicester. Lots, yeah. lots of positives for Salah. Uh, but for me, the the player of the month is Trent. I thought Trent pretty much in every game again bossed it uh, for the most part. The things he's doing in that new role are just unbelievable. The, the, the passes he's seeing, there was one, I forget who against now, where he sort of flicked it with the outside of his boot round the corner. And uh, it didn't. It, I think it, it was Gakpo didn't take the chance. But just every single game, there are four or five passes that are like, out of this world good, really like just unbelievable. It's like Gerard good, it's De Bruyne good, it's it's that level of, of quality and it's the hardest thing for a midfielder to be able to do to sort of break the lines with passing like that and Trent does it effortlessly and more than that, there seems to be like more heart in him when he plays in that slot. It's like he's trying to prove that he can, it's like he wants to be that midfielder. He's got more guts and heart and he's charged the tackles. I like everything about what he's doing in that role, and uh, probably the only one above maybe Curtis going into next season that will be looking forward to it would be him because he must just be thinking like, how many assists am I going to get if that's my new role? Yeah, and I think that the three names that you sort of signalled out—I'll be honest—I had it as as Trent really, really steals it early doors in those first three games, including that Leicester one where he was unbelievable because the last two were horrendous and there's very few got pass marks and not almost discounting them to a certain extent but yeah absolutely brilliant like you said I think he's going to be so important even now I think you you see him like we'll we'll talk about transfer plans there's an essence of the team being built around him I know there's still Salah and all the other people don't get me wrong but just as important has really shone through Curtis again like you said cemented that definitely worth mentioning Mo, an interesting one this month. It was almost like the last few games especially, and I'm saying this in context because for God's sake, he's still got assists in like every game, you know, like he's still unbelievable, you know, to do that. It just felt he was maybe trying for that 30th goal a bit too hard. Yeah, he's got a bit of that in the makeup mode, doesn't he? Sometimes maybe more just come a little bit before the rest of it kind of thing, you know. 
yeah. It, it, and that the, the chance you remember is that one where Gapo puts him clean through against Leicester, and we're yeah. thinking the net's just going to burst. And yeah, he's great. He's, I mean, it wasn't yeah. even close. That's the thing. It wasn't yeah. close. He hit it like a good three foot wide there, and you don't really get easier chances than that with a you know without it being an open goal. It was just clean one on one all the time in the world. Pick your spot, pick your side, do whatever you want with it, round them, anything. And he just really casually put it about three foot wide. It was a stinking chance. Yeah. And and I'm saying this even in context, like winner against Fulham, winner against Brentford, three assists against Leicester, incredible. Assist against Villa, assist against Southampton. So it's a big contribution every game. But I think, like yeah. you said, overall, just shading it for me, probably Trent, Mo, Curtis. Other than that, it's hard to bring anyone else in. And one way to finish the month, we should revisit this, even though it's the last one. We've talked about it for the first time in the last one of the season, but it's important to do. How did we do or go against our predictions? Now, I listened back, thought, Christ, did I actually say that? Did Mark actually say that? Yes, we did. So just to revisit, we had the first two right. We had Fulham and Brentford wins. Do you remember what we said about Leicester, Mark? Do you want to say yes, that? Yes, yeah, I think ironically, the best game of the month was the one we said we wouldn't win. Yeah, exactly that. The one where we said we'd struggle, it'd be difficult, and we could, you know, they'll be fighting for their lives. And Christ, everything the opposite, basically, in that regard. They were pretty abject, weren't they? And it was an they were awful, yeah. second gear, third win. <laughs> we kind of dismissed Villa and Southampton as easy wins, but I'll, I'll give us a bit of defence that, Villa, we couldn't have foreseen coming, so to speak, too much, you know, maybe just the occasion. And Southampton, I don't care what anyone says, whoever had, like, a draw when we were 2-0 up early on, and you're thinking, we're going to pace these type of things. But yeah. to, to give us, like, some credit on the Southampton one, if there was more on the line there, Liverpool go to win that game, you know? We only didn't yeah. win that game because of the nature of it, who we dropped, you know, all there was nothing left to play for. It was their last game in the Premier League. You know, there's no way that's the result if if we go into that with a win meaning Champions League. No way. Indeed. But again, I also argue the Villa game as well. The referee really did have a, a big say in the result there. I mean, he just did that. That, that was uh, the red card was an obvious one. There was uh, the potential penalty. Yeah. There was loads wrong. There was the VAR disallowed goal, which I completely disagree with. The one where they said, you know, that he didn't uh, mean to put it back into, Joke. I think, Van Dyke's path or whoever it was. Yeah, I mean, just terrible decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that more. It was horrendous refereeing. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes for next season, actually. So that's definitely one to talk about. And, Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. 
I don't really want to do this the season it's been, but we have got to do it, Mark. It's the right time to go for our annual awards. So we'll start to look at a few awards. And Christ, probably the biggest sign of this season is there really ain't that many candidates for certain ones. But the obvious one to start with, player of the year. Who have you plumped for? Yeah, I, th- I think you you would find pretty much every single Liverpool fan with the same name here. And there are really only two candidates, which the, the runner-up for me is Salah. I mean, he's still still putting good numbers. You, you, you just, I mean, you know what you're going to get from Mo every single year. It's invaluable to have a guy, you know, that's going to hit 30-plus every single time. Pretty much 20, I think he's his lowest is 19 Premier League goals, which is nice. what otherwise he's clear 20 every time, and even 30 once. Um, and then you're left with the only other guy, which I mean, I mean, has to be Allison, just by a country mile. If you, you know, if you even go back to the game we've just talked about there, Southampton, even with that poor performance, Allison wins us that game. There's yeah. two of those, maybe even all four of those that do not go in if Allison's playing in net. I think yeah. Allison has had his best season for Liverpool. He's, he's, he's been consistently great since we signed him, but I think this was his best season. I think he's comfortably the best goalkeeper in England and probably the best goalkeeper in the world. He's, if it wasn't for the, 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 the kind of absent-mindedness of when he's got the ball at his feet occasionally being a little bit too blasé, he's virtually faultless as a goalkeeper. His positioning is out of this world. He never even has to make a big save because he's that good at being in the right place every single time. His footwork's incredible. His distribution's outrageous. He's just... You, you couldn't have wished for a better goalkeeper signing than what we've had in Allison. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one because I really wanted to like stack up when I was looking at it, Allison and Salah. You know, really like be objective, compare them against the two. And it has to be said, because they both had small parts, and I'm saying this, you know, very small for anyone jumps on this, small dips in the season, especially around the, you know, when Alisson kicked the ball against Vinicius in the Champions League, he just let a few under his feet. He had very small dips. Salah had a few periods where he didn't score, but very much we were playing him as the bloody assistant referee at times, weren't we, on the right? So, you know, everything's got context there. However... The one thing that I think really stands out is from the get-go, and I do mean this from the get-go, Alisson largely has been absolutely brilliant. I shudder to think where we would be without him in nets. He has made huge saves to get us wins. And I mean and I mean this, wins that have got us up to like eighth and ninth, you know, at times of the season. We've been hanging on barely. But yeah, and we've actually we've got stats for these things, you know, like how far above zero is he performing? You know, how many goals has yeah. he actually prevented versus caused? And there was a point in the season where Liverpool were like two points off relegation if we'd had a goalkeeper with a zero rating, you know, effectively even. Yeah. It was like plus eight or nine at the time which was way out ahead of everybody else, every other goalkeeper. And he was effectively keeping us in the top half. I mean, it's, it's unreal how good a season he's had. And, and even when I looked at their, um, their best performances, because I, I, I thought I looked at it objectively before that. So, I mean, Salah, don't get me wrong, he's had some unbelievable games. But the performance of the season, you know, I feel for him because it totally didn't matter in the end. 1-0 defeat in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. Yeah. Allison was absolutely unbelievable. He made like four or five world-class saves that night and he only got beaten by a bit of 
bad luck late on. Technically, it didn't really matter because we were abject and gone from the first leg. But yeah, it's, it really is Alisson and Salah, which maybe is the tougher question to ask you now because Christ knows what you come up with this. Who's got a case for the bronze medal? Anyone at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was, when I was trying to decide, you know, who I think is played of the season, I was given a lot of thought to like, you know, who else is even a contender, and ultimately, no one is. So the way I kind of started to think about it is, who will end the season thinking that this season was kind of a win for them, if you will? Who, yeah. who ends with just in the positive column? And the only ones I think that will come out pleased in the end is. Hanati, despite the injury, I think he's cemented his place now. You know, he is now definitely the starting centre-back where we were still yeah. in the is it him, is it Matip space, even as far as the Champions League final last season. Uh, Gakpo has come in and despite a bit of a slow start, I think he'll be really pleased with how it's all gone in the end. I think yeah. he's now kind of got his place in the team kind of finding his legs a little bit, a little bit more bottle of it, and looks kind of more willing to take it on. I think he'll be pleased. Curtis Jones is, for all the reasons I said earlier, definitely finishing the season pleased. And then the last one is a, is a funny one, because if we're honest, he's potentially had his worst season for Liverpool, but Trent will end this season really optimistic going into next because of these last eight or nine games where he's had his position changed. Because if we're honest... We, you know, there were question marks over whether Trent should even be playing anymore. Yeah. The point where he changed, he really was. His defensive stuff was starting. I mean, people have always said about it, and I've never been one to fully buy into that. You know, he's he's had big games against your Messi's and Ronaldo's, and he's done brilliantly against all of them. He has got the capability, but there was something in the sort of desire column that just seemed to have gone this season. He wasn't paying enough attention. He was losing his man. He was losing his battles. And... When they changed him into that midfield role, something just ignited, didn't it? And it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been amazing to watch. And I think, like I said, going into pre-season, I think he'll be as buoyed as anybody. He'll be as kind of, let's get into this next year, m- more than anybody else in the whole squad, I think. Yeah, he's, he's such a weird one. It's like you say, even I was thinking, and I, I was stretching cases, let's be clear on that, I was stretching cases for a bronze, you know, bronze medaling player of the season for some. Canate, like you said, he, he wasn't brilliant. He was injured for a large part. Is you know, his big sort of defence there. Then again, I still think, you know, the the weakness against Brentford, the misjudgments occasionally crept in, but Absolutely. it wasn't perfect. I'm not saying he had a great season, but I, I just think all in all he's cemented his place, you know, and now he now he goes forward with, with a little bit of, right, okay, this is my spot. Now I can kind of spread my wings in it a little bit, you know, and be yeah. exactly who I want to be. There, there must be immense pressure when you're up against someone, you know, like he was with Matip, and you're scared to make mistakes, you know, you're scared to do this, you don't want to try too much with the ball at your feet. I'm, I'm sure knowing that he's got that, that kind of confidence from Klopp now to be the guy hopefully, you know, we'll see a bit more from him. We'll see a bit more confidence, a bit more, this is my place, come and get it kind of thing. Yeah, indeed. And even like the one you mentioned, Trent, I mean, it's important to remember the full context because Trent's season has literally had everything from the utter top performances to the utter bottom. I mean, like you said, we've got to remember it in context. There were points where, and I agree, I've always gone for that, 
it's just lazy punditry. He's brilliant at talking, he can't defend. That was just lazy punditry to me. You know, there's no proper analysis to <laughs> you're, that. You're absolutely spot on. I mean, if you if you watch Reese James or any of these guys, they make really similar mistakes to what Trent gets dragged over the coals for. And it just goes without a mention anywhere. Trent does one thing wrong, and it doesn't even have to be that bad. And it's on Match of the Day. Neville and Carragher are on it. You know, tweets are all over Twitter about it. It's It just catches fire. Every time Trent does something, it's kind of memed up. Where guys like Reese James, Trippier, they are not flawless. They're making mistakes all the time. And yet, for whatever reason, the the, the story just doesn't seem to have that kind of popular element to it. Nobody, it just goes without mention. Indeed. I I think, again, it's all opinions, isn't it? But I think the big thing that changed this season is you saw on the pitch his attitude wasn't right. And the pundits pounced on that. Even like early on in the season, that United away game, you know, he was just strolling back as Rashford and Sancho just burst through. You could see him literally jogging instead of sprinting when he needed to to defend. We yeah. saw it on numerous occasions at right back in that 4-3-3. And we have to be honest in context as well. There was that period in the season where we were looking at people like Fabinho, Henderson and going, Christ, these are never going to play for us again. Might not be the worst thing. We weren't far off putting Trent in that category. You have to be honest on that at one absolutely, stage. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But, but the turnaround is literally just unbelievable. And it's actually, if you look at where he was almost before that, I'll call it the Arsenal switch, because that's the big game, obviously, that everyone talks yeah. about before the end of the season. I mean, his stats were pretty abject. I mean, he still finished the season with 10 assists. You know, he's got double figures again. The so the end of his season is brilliant. However, however, the problem is the first part of his season's a minus four out of ten, so it probably doesn't quite balance up to a, a third place. So I'm gonna be honest on third place. I gave it to Gakpo, just because I know we everyone's gonna say the first seven games, but I thought he's done well overall. There's real hope. He's always contributing. He, like you can say, he can play a few roles now. He's still got work to do. Like Christ, he just needs to go and like I'm a celebrity or SAS tough enough, you know, just bulk up a little bit or just toughen up. Yeah. If he could just stand with his back to goal and keep it a little more, it would have, it, it would have been a great six months. It's only a good one because he does look soft at times. Yeah, indeed. But let's let's be clear because we'll keep this short. First and second, Alison Salah, they cannot even see third. They're that far in the distance. And yeah. that probably tells you why. Because if we had a few more that were pushing them for third, we'd have probably made Champions League. But there we are. And probably the only other one to ask, and again, maybe stretching a bit here, Mark, any young player of the season? Because it is right to separate them. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Yeah, it's the same sort of story for me. Um, you know, I, I don't think any of them are worthy of the title for, for a whole season, you know, that, that they would consider this to have been a great one. The the three kind of contenders for me are Elliot, Jones and Bajatic. Elliot, because he kind of, for a long time, he was one of the guys who had played in all the Premier League games, even though he maybe didn't kick on the way a lot of us had hoped he might this season. Uh, I, I don't think he'll end the season all that pleased, all in all. Uh, but he was in and about it. He was around the team a lot this year. So maybe he has yeah. taken bits from him. Maybe we get a little more, you know, next season. Uh, I hope we do. I think there's a lot of talent there. I just don't know if, if our system's suiting him, you know, the, the, the way we're playing. He, he looks like he really wants to play where Salah plays for me. And yeah. Fortunately, he's got a guy who's missed three Premier League games in six years ahead of him. There's there's not much prospect for getting minutes in that position, so they've kind of shoehorned him into midfield, and you know I I just don't think that fits perfect. But nonetheless, I still think he's a contender. Jones next really comes down to just those last eight or nine games where he was in, and he did really really well in them. But is eight or nine games enough to to be young player of the season? I'm not so sure. Last one, Bajetic. I think for a spell when Badge came in, he was proper revelation stuff. You know, he, yeah. he, he found us in a moment where the midfield was completely broken, flat on its feet. And he was the only thing that kind of put a little bit of life back into Liverpool, I think. And I think to, to some degree, yeah, I, praise, I think to some degree, he is uh, to be credited for the kind of renaissance we, we ended up having in the season. He put a little bit more hope back into the team, I thought. Bit of legs, bit of youth. Looked kind of fearless, you know, that nice sort of thing you sometimes get with youth players. Didn't mind taking it in tough spots. The way he turned away from guys in, in some of those games where like the confidence was gone in the team and he was just willing to try, willing to have that sort of, I'll do it, give it to me, I don't care who's around me sort of thing. Um, so I think all in all, I would probably go Bajetic. I, I don't think that would be the consensus if you asked everyone, but... I think what he did in that little spell in the middle of the season was pretty special. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. You can, I can honestly make a case for all three, but probably the worrying thing is that's the story of the season. There's no clear winner. You know, they've all got question marks, as it were, against them for parts. Like you said, Curtis Jones' injuries missed a large part, a smaller period. Same with Badge, superb. And like Jurgen Klopp said, you know, he's excited by his super, super potential. The boy in the man... Oh, sorry. Yeah, he is a, a man, but it's a boy's body. That's the problem type of thing, which, you know, will be interesting to see next season. And then Harvey, yeah, it's it's almost like doesn't quite fit, so to speak. I mean, the weird thing about Harvey is when you actually look at his stats at the end of the season, i.e. goals and assists, they're not all that bad. But the true story is, and it's horrible to say, he's not picking on the kid, the team looked better when he came out and we switch to the new formation, you know, with more physical players. I know that's a sort of a crude phrase, but it's it's basically true. So that plays a part as well. I suppose, yeah, in, in that regard, it's difficult. But I did go badge in that essence too. I do wonder about Harvey long-term a little bit as well. Curtis, I, I'm still taking it as a real pleasing thing for him at the end of the season because there's a lot of question marks on Curtis Jones. And I'm not saying he's erased all of them. But every red has at least got him in their squad as a good option minimum for yeah, next season. I think this is the first time for Jones where 
he's put a spell together of games where you're now saying that is a Liverpool caliber player. I don't think he's ever had like a sustained 10, 12 game run where that was the case where you thought there's a Liverpool player. He's doing it every single week. He's not spending too long on the ball like we've seen before. He's he's doing all the right things. His running stats are fantastic. It, there's nothing wrong with the desire that he's winning it back in, in good sort of advanced areas. Looks pretty pretty sort of clock like in his in the way he's playing now. I think uh yeah I I think at other periods he's had kind of big goals or nice nice little sort of moments but never really looked the full package and for the first time I think he's kind of collected all that into into the right package yeah I'd agree but probably I'll look at those annual awards and there ain't no one celebrating including the players the fans no one really heralding it it's just one to forget but it is always important just to uh, Acknowledge who's got pass marks there and who, as we said, has got a lot to look at. But moving on, Mark, this will be an interesting one. If I say to you, Mark, £90 million, Mason Mount, Thiago's not going anywhere, what do you think I'm talking about, possibly? Sounds like my predictions, Dave. It does indeed. So if anyone listened to the, the last one at all, we did make predictions around what would happen the next spend of the summer who would come in, that type of thing. So, it's a chance to see, did we get the early vibes right? I think we know the answer to that. And to see if we want to stick or twist a little bit. So, I know you like to give detailed answers and sort of change it a bit. So, I'll come to, I won't give you them all, Mark, because to be fair, I think there's some good ones there. But, the net spend and Mason Mount as the first signing. Christ, that looks a horror tip now, doesn't it? Do you want to stick or twist that at all? Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, I'm gonna I'm gonna twist on that one <laughs> since it's been announced that he's uh, agreed terms for United. I think to give myself some credit, it did look like Mason Mount was on. Uh, it'll be interesting to find out what's actually happened there. If it is just a case of more money, Champions League football, whatever it is, it's yeah. it's pretty rare Liverpool cover a guy as 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 sort of closely as we did with Mount. All the stories about you know his family being at the ground, watching games, personal terms were close, all these different things, and it not to go our way. So yeah. I'm surprised that's happened. But not that disappointed, if I'm honest. Um, you and I have talked about it privately a lot, and I think that right centre midfield role for Liverpool is absolutely critical next season. I really do, because the cover that that, will have to, that position will have to provide for right back, you know, especially if Trent's going to do this sort of more advanced role where he's just definitely going to get caught out here and there and he will need help. He'll need the defensive midfielder, the right-sided midfielder and the right-sided centre-back to be covering that space where a a conventional right-back would have been. And I just am not sure if Mount is that guy. I think I want to see more physicality, more more sort of defensive-mindedness, for a lack of another way to describe it in that position. And I think he, while he is kind of, he's a good presser and he's, you know, an, an advanced presser. I just don't know if he's, I, th- I think we basically want a young Jordan Henderson, you know, in that position, a guy who will run all day and, and cover those spaces and do do all that kind of thing. And I just didn't, I, I never really thought Mount was going to be that guy for us, even though I predicted we would sign him. So to be honest, I'm not displeased with the way that's gone. Interesting. And just, 
Just to clarify, he did say a young Jordan Henderson before I start getting messages or threats or the Discord goes crazy. A young Jordan Henderson, just yeah. a player. But yeah, absolutely. I can, I can understand that. I went for Alexis McAllister, who, according to media reports, the fact he gets closer every day, I'm pretty sure he's camping in Jurgen Klopp's office just waiting for the paperwork to be signed because that literally gets closer and closer. But... Yeah, there's, there's, been these, there's been these links with uh, Coley and people say, yeah, there's a little bit in that and I'm, I'm just desperately hoping to get that one in before they get your one in, just, just so you don't get to win. Uh, yeah, I will definitively be sticking on that one, no two ways about it. I know you're a pretty cynical guy on this, so it's quite high for you, net spend, 90 million. Interesting, and... I know, obviously, because there's been talk about Schmacker value, etc. But just as an amount, sticking or twisting on that? I'm certainly sticking on that. I don't see it going any higher. Um, I, I think, I mean, I know we're kind of going to dive a little deeper into into how many and which positions and those sort of things. But I, I, I just think we're going to have kind of two major signings of the summer. That, that's the way I see it, I think. I think you're going to be right with McAllister and it's going to be another like a Coney or whatever. And we're going to sell a fair number. And I, I just think when, when all of that kind of goes through the wash, it's still going to be less than 100 million. I'm, I'm, I, I would wow. be shocked if it isn't. Interesting. And I'll stick with mine of 105. And we'll, we'll put the positions together because we're not, we're, we're not sort of relive every moment of last month's podcast. But if you remember, Mark, you said three midfielders, two defenders in and one out, and you had Matip as the one going out. Changing those numbers at all? And I should say, just before that, you did say no attackers as well. So three mids, two defenders in, one out in Matip and no attackers. Changing? Yeah, I will change that. I think that's probably too many coming in. I think that was that was a little optimistic. I, I, t- I tend to think it's going to be... Two midfielders, two proper starting midfielders. I think we're going to get a, a left-sided uh, centre midfielder and a right-sided centre midfielder. I think McAllister is likely to be one of them, probably the left side, and maybe you get a Turam or a Coney or somebody like that on the right side. And then I think we're bound to get a, a kind of left-sided centre-back if if we intend to play the same system, you know, because Robertson just isn't built for that kind of tucking into a three, in my opinion. Uh, and I don't think we have anyone who really is. M- maybe you could argue Gomez is, but his form's dipped so tragically that I just don't think that's the level we're looking for. So I, I think we'll get a, a left-sided centre-back, two starting midfielders, and a goalkeeper. I think they will be the four we'll get. And I would put that in with the sort of caveat that if we sell well enough, there may be a third midfielder. But I think that will be a case of, you know, if, if the finances are there... Basically, can we come up with the money? Can we can we sell enough to 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 have that? Interesting, interesting. And as much as I was crowing about having Alexis McAllister, Christ knows what I was thinking last month, saying four midfielders are coming in. So I am definitely twisting on that. I I do get the feeling, like you said, I think it'll be too early on or early-ish, so to speak. I do get a feeling it will be three overall. But I just think one will be sort of later in the window, i.e. we'll need to make other moves, we'll need to sell, see what's left, if that makes sense. So that would yeah, be I, me. I think if, we, if we get the two in who are kind of starters, you know, two 
two who are coming into play pretty much every week. We've essentially pretty much rebuilt the midfield already at that stage. You know, there's a, there's a lot of names like that that will play the the last one, the defensive one, and it means you can kind of maybe gamble or go for a slightly cheaper third or, or you know how, however they'll size it up. And I think that gives them kind of freedom to wait till later in the window and just see what's available, see if we can you know strike a deal somewhere that that kind of thing. Yeah, it will be interesting. Which. Just lead to one of my quick surprise questions, which I like to throw on you because I know you like to prep, and I know you know I like to make sure you're not prepared for certain things as well. So keep the answers short, and it's easy to give short answer for this one because I'll give you three options. They are the hottest names. There's no two ways about it. All the journalists, like we have David Lynch on, saying you know there's definitely something in it. They're on Liverpool's lists. So the three I'm going to give you, Mark, are the three options. I should say, Kepren Turan. Or Manu Kone, or both. How do you see it this summer? Because they're the hot names right now. What's your gut telling you? My gut tells me definitely not both. Definitely not both. One or the other. And my preference is Kone. I think the links are slightly stronger to him. There's been like the Queep and these different things have said it in France about Turam, but I think there's just a little more around uh, around Kone. Um, so Neil Jones talking about him. I, th- I think that one is the more likely one. The fee looks pretty good if you're to believe the kind of the, the the things coming out around that the sort of thirty five to forty million euros. I think that is fantastic value. I think he provides and him and Turam to be fair both provide that exactly what I was talking about before that Mount didn't have. You know that kind of physicality, that up and down, yeah. um, that real like just. The sort of thing that Caicedo has, you know, a lot of a lot of fans wanted Caicedo in the summer. I think yeah. both of those guys provide a little bit of that sort of engine room style that we are lacking now. Uh, so delighted with either, and I think I would go Coney as the likely one. Yeah, I must admit, out of the out of those three options, I was thinking Coney. Like you said, price. Definite. Gladbach needs to sell. They've got quite a few who are leaving on a free, like Turam, as in Marcus Turam, Kepren's brother, funnily enough, or they've got ones with 12 months left to go. There's talk about their cash situation in that regard, needing to build a team. So that makes a lot of sense. Also, on the other side for Turam, there's a lot of chat about his fee. His fees naturally, because in that French sort of team of the year for the league, Fee's gone up a bit, so it's even rumoured around sort of 45, 50 million, that mark potentially. So I think the fee plays a difference. Also, Nice, apparently quite reluctant sellers. And something tells me the fact that Sir Jim Ratcliffe, their owner, is trying to buy Manchester United, probably doesn't really want to do a solid to Liverpool either, does he, in that regard yeah. as well, no matter yeah. what, no matter what his father thinks. So I would I would be honest though and say, and I'll ask you, because I was thinking about this, if the three midfielders and forget the rest of the transfer window. I'm just talking the midfield area. If the three midfielders were McAllister, Kone, Toram, score thou out of ten for a window. That that's really high for me. That is, I mean, that's rebuilding the midfield in such a nice way. Such a clock midfield. There's technical ability. There's power. There's all sorts of things there that I think give Klopp the ingredients to 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 cook a little more. You know, to to do a bit more with the team. But I think. We get a lot closer to the sort of midfield we had at the peak of Klopp's time. I think that would have to... I mean, 
you know, like a 10 window for me would have been bringing in Bellingham, Caicedo and, you know, McAllister, let's say. As yeah. a, this isn't a 10, but it would have to be an 8, I think, as high as an 8. I think that's a really, really good window if you get those three. I agree with that. I think, yeah, he can even make a case for a little bit higher, especially in the context that we're in the Europa League, for God's sake. You know, if we can yeah. get those three in. I think, like you said, it's it, the youth as well. You know, the two French lads there are 22, McAllister's 24. It really does revitalise us. And who knows? But I, I kind of do get the inkling with you that it is going to be McAllister, Kone, and then maybe opportunistic's the wrong word, but we'll just have to wait and see. Brill. And probably the only other thing I'd ask you, because we, we talked about your defenders, give me a name for a defender. Give me a gut who you think we end up with, if any. Yeah, there's there's a lot of links on the defenders. It's 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 a tough one, isn't it? Um, a lot of the linked ones are guys I haven't watched much, if I'm honest. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, my my own personal take on them is pretty mixed. So, really, it's just kind of reading names, and I I don't think I would pin my flag to them because I I just don't know enough about them personally. You know, I, I have watched bits of Cody and Turan, so. I think I've got like a fair opinion of what those are. All the names yeah. defensively just aren't guys that I'm confident enough in myself to uh, to kind of see what they what they do for us. You know, I've watched the kind of clips of a couple of them just just as they've been linked, but I like what I've seen from most of them. To be honest, um, the, uh, the they look kind of pacey. You know, they look physical. They look yeah, like kind of playing. The, the way Klopp's defenders like to play, I mean, that seems to be the kind of profile. If you look at kind of Van Dijk and Kamati, they're, they're similar sort of guys in that they're big, they're physical, and they're quick. Uh, I think that seems to be what he's going for. So to be honest, I'm, I'm pretty happy with all of the names, but not set on any of them. I don't know if you have a preference. It's, it's a tough one. And I'm almost thinking like, when it, and I'm, even as I asked the question, I understand it was me that asked it preference. They're very different still in certain aspects. Like Timber, although David Lynch and Media Matters kind of ruled that out, but that was almost you were thinking the right side of centre back because Trent's going to move. You know, he's, he's not big in the air, but he's, you know, quick, good on the ball, that type of thing. Then you've got Inacio, the sporting guy, the left footed centre back, who, again, young, but passing range exceptional, you know, able to play that left side, but, you know, really known for his passing. So I saw that. And then the name that, and, and again, I don't know if this is not lazy journalism is the wrong phrase, but with Schmacker coming in, and if I'm pronouncing it right, I think it's Mickey van der Ven from Wolfsburg, their Dutch yeah. centre back, who, funnily enough, there's all the pictures now, isn't he? There he is with his old man. Yeah, we're just living for yeah. I would say of all of the clips I've seen, his have been the ones that kind of struck me the hardest. He, I, I don't know if you've seen this, like one in particular of him uh, chasing back a kind of break. Uh, yeah, and the pace is ridiculous on him, like ridiculous. And, uh, you know, if I'm honest, that's most of what I've seen of him, that. But it was like a nice little clip. You know, you like to see these sort of wholehearted, pacey centre-backs like that. And uh, Inacio, I've seen a little bit of him. I also think he'd be good. I think Timber's a different, different. you know, I think the right-sided one is different altogether. I think that's more like a cover-for-Trent situation. Whereas I think the other two... I think they are actually actively looking for someone who maybe actually plays, who maybe starts, you know. Yeah. Like we said Robertson maybe isn't suited as much to this kind of tucking into a three. 
I think they're trying to find someone who is. And uh, Inacio and uh, and the other fella, I think they are the two m- more likely, if you will, because they're they're the I think the position that's kind of more critical to what we're trying to change. Indeed, and I, if I had to, to bet, I'll be I'll be a bit brave with this one. I do think, and again, if I'm pronouncing it right, Van der Ven would be the one. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it develops with. And I know he's almost like criticising lazy journalism, as I said it before. But I do think with the the Schmacker links, I think with the pace and he, like you said, even from that clip, because he almost runs at like Benny Hill speed. It's ridiculous. But yeah. the other thing is, you, you saw from like the stats, you know, they, as they clock them, as they said in the Bundesliga, he's in like the top ten quickest players this year, and he's yeah. huge. You know, he's a good sort of six three, six four. So it doesn't really usually translate in that regard, but. We love tall players who are quick, you know. You know, yeah. we have the great. He fits the profile very, very well. But I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you'd be similar. We haven't watched enough of them to, yeah, you know, just how consistent he is, what that level is. You just kind of, you know, sometimes you have to just trust, you know, the kind of scouting department at Liverpool. They they, they have more hits than misses over the last sort of decade. So, hundred percent. You like to think they'd get that one right. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My LibertyShield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout and and I know people will be shouting at this going like have you seen his aerial success and yes it does seem low for someone that tall and that big naturally but then again if you want to bring aerial success into it have you seen Jeremy and Timbers that's pretty damn low even lower so you know yeah. it's all swings and roundabouts but We'll have to see. Yeah, the defence ones may be a, a little bit more uncertain, but we're pretty sure there'll be a reinforcement at least. And we'll keep this one brief because we've talked about outgoings and it's just to see if anything's swayed or come to the fore. Because last time round, Mark, you said Simicast stay, Gomez stay, Matic go. Stick with that? Change any names? I think Matic doesn't go now. Um there's no particular reason for the change other than I think we're going to be limited in who we can bring in. And I think, I think it's going to end up, you know, this is real just shooting the dark stuff. I, I just don't see that we're going to be able to bring in the left-sided centre-back and a decent right-back capable of, of filling in for Trent at the same time. So I tend to think Joe Gomez is going to kind of be the right-sided cover. Matip retains his kind of centre-back cover. Phillips is obviously going to go. And then I do think you would need that one other to play the kind of left-sided centre-back cover and potentially fill in for Robertson. 
which I think will be two of the guys we just mentioned there. So because of that, I think Matic probably ends up staying as as the kind of main centre-back cover. Wow. Yeah, it's... I realised when I, I first was like, grilling you about this and I, I look back, I didn't actually say out loud, to be fair, what was in, in my thoughts. And I'm going to be honest, I would twist or change what was in my original thoughts. So I honestly get the feeling Matic and Gomez stay. And I've kind of undernarred this. And I have to be honest that we have David Lynch on Media Matters to say that from Matic, quite happy where he is on that final year. All suggestions were if he was going to move, he'd have to take a pay cut, which he's not going to be ecstatic about as well when he can get a free transfer in the summer. Joe Gomez is the weird one because it's almost it's that question no one knows about asking Joe Gomez. Mate, are you happy being like fourth, fifth choice, you know, yeah. playing in just the cup games type of things? And no one really it's knows the answer. Because he seems to be. He does seem to be. Nothing about like the body language or anything is coming off like unhappy. You know, training photos, all these. I know they're just little snippets, but nothing about him, no stories, nothing in the press, you know, nothing is coming across kind of disgruntled unless I'm missing it. And yeah, no, I agree. I agree because there's even talk that, as David Lynch was saying, like back in the England squad, but then you watch when he does play and like even that game against Southampton on the last day, he is miles off that. So maybe actually... He is happy having that homegrown status, being fourth or fifth choice, playing, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 games a year, whatever it is. Maybe he just is happy with that. So yeah, Maybe he is. I mean, where is Joe Gomez going to go that he's going to win trophies? I think, you know, if he's looking at just the, the, that alone, you know, and even wages, I suppose, there's probably not many clubs going to better his situation other than minutes on the park. You know, that's really the only yeah. thing that plans the game. Yeah, so I just get the feeling we, we will still have Matip and Gomez. The one I think, and it kind of links to me thinking that, again, we're shooting in the dark a bit here, but Van der Ven coming in, I think Simicas might go. I just think there will be a, if, he, if it's known that he, you know, he's looking for first-team football, there will be interest in him. You know, there's always going to be interest with a boy who can cross that well. You know, let's not pretend it. Simicas has got a wicked left-foot delivery, brilliant delivery, no two ways about it. He's also got two years left on his deal. So it's either the time, as a, a normal football club will be saying, renew or sell, but we obviously love running people down on free, so that's maybe a different part of the conversation. But yeah. I'm, I'm not reading too much into the tears on the last day, but I know some are. I just think it will be him. But again, that is gut more than, you know, I know he's going to be this or I've got a real suspicion, anything like that. And... Probably to finish this bit of outgoings, because I know we've talked about this. We, Fabio Carvalho, and now as we talked about Kelleher, and especially based on the bloody Irish team manager's quotes, whether it's loan or whether it's perm, they're out the door this summer, aren't they? Surely, Mark. 100%, yeah. Both are definitely gone. I mean, Carvalho's stuff on social media this week caught a lot of sort of attention, and I think that showed where his head's at, not happy with how little he's playing. Klopp was pretty clear that he's not in the plans. He's evidently been told that he's not part of the plans. Already offers on the table. I think that one will be the quickest one. I think that'll be the the first in or out either way, I think. Um, and Kelleher too, I think there's clearly interest. You know, various clubs getting quoted, Tottenham, Brighton, various bits. And uh, again, I think the price might be a, a, a sticking point, Liverpool. Yeah. You get the feeling Liverpool are after somewhere around 20. They might have to settle for somewhere closer to 10. Um, 
But ultimately, I think they'll kind of honour his wishes and he will get that move. I think those two are certain to go. Yeah, indeed. You'd put good, good money. And I know you did say, like like I thought as well, we'll be surprised if a keeper comes in as well. But yeah, Carvalho Kelleher, we will see. We will see. And probably this last round we'll talk about, folks, is what, what I'm going to call shooting from the hip. So just based on a few comments, stories, things that have come out recently, just getting sort of a, a quick take from Mark and I'll sort of do any rebuttals or my thoughts on it around certain things that have come out. So just a, a few things that we'll look at, Mark. So we'll start on the the clock quotes recently that obviously talking about wanting to get people in early, the six to seven weeks, but it's, he's really been bullish about, you know, getting his business done and we need to have a big summer. And probably the big line I wanted to talk to you about was the one where he said, yeah, I'm going to have my phone on all over the window, you know, for the, for the summer for transfer window. Do you see that now? Is, is Klopp really putting, like, or throwing the gauntlet down, is it right to say, to the owners? Is he really saying now, like, I've kind of shielded you for quite a bit, let's not pretend, back me now. There's no reason to do it. Do you see it as him ramping up the pressure, or is he just being honest? I think he's just being honest. I don't think Klopp does ramp up the pressure on the owners. I think if fans had kind of one complaint of Klopp, it, other than the kind of loyalty thing, it would be that he doesn't put any pressure on the owners. He actually does cover for them. That's kind of pretty well covered at this stage. And uh, I don't like that about him because, I, you know, I think we are underfunded. I think most fans would agree. Yeah. Just a little bit more would have got us potentially more titles, more Champions Leagues in this Klopp era. I think generally Liverpool only spend somewhere around 25 million per window, uh, kind of a 50 million net spend per year. Mm. I think we all have the feeling this is going to be a bigger one. I think Klopp evidently knows this is going to be a bigger one. I mean, you wouldn't go kind of branding, brandishing the, the, the stuff he is in these quotes about, you know, big summer, this, that, if you didn't know there was something available. I mean, that would just be ludicrous, you know, to, to say that and then come out with nothing, you know, with no yeah. big things. There's all this noise about various guys as well. I mean, it seems pretty clear they're going to pull the trigger on two pretty fast here. Sounds like McAllister and, say, Coney or Aturam, they're both going to come in simultaneously. It doesn't feel like, you know, in some summers, like even last summer, for example, Nunes came in pretty quick. And then there was that little bit of a lull again, you know, of, of who we're going to sell, where can we come up with the finances for the next one. I get the feeling we're going a little bigger than that this time. I think two will come in before before it's a talk of okay, now we need to see, you know, kind of clean the clean up the the balance sheet before yeah. before we look again. So I do think there'll be more spent, but I don't think Klopp was putting on pressure on the owners there. I think he was just stating the obvious: we are going to have a fairly big summer here. Yeah, I, I do see it in a, a similar way. I think he was, you know, being bullish. He's obviously say regenerated by the the recent run, if that's the right phrase, the you know the momentum, so to speak. But I know I've been talking about the last two games, but you know the the vast improvement towards the end of the season. I do think, in another sense, though, personally, it does put it not that he's tried to do it. This will be, and quite understandably, the absolute last chance saloon for FSG if they do not back Jurgen Klopp, Schmack, however you want to put it, to a good degree, you know, this summer. There's, you know, not saying it's going to be civil war at Anfield, but it's going to be, you know, a, a winter of discontent, isn't it, really, with some real, real pressure on them, so to speak. So 
it will be interesting it, to see. So- it is. And look, I, I don't want to bore you on this because, you know, you and I talk about this quite a lot about the owners and money in, but the, the, there's things about the sort of the wording of the way the, these are put of kind of FSG backing and this sort of stuff. And I just, I'm never comfortable hearing that because the truth is they don't put any money in, nothing. You know, it's completely generated by Liverpool. It's how much they sanction of Liverpool's own money. It's not a case of backing. They aren't, opening their checkbook. That hasn't happened the entire time they've been with us. They've they've given us loans for the stadium and the training ground, these different things, but all to be paid back. They they don't put any of their own money in. This idea that they're going to bankroll Klopp this summer is just a complete fallacy. They're not. Whether Liverpool will be able to afford to spend it is... is is up for debate, you know, on their own earnings, on what, what they have available, you know, because yeah. you can spread these things over seasons. There's lots of different ways you can cut it up. But the, the way people phrase it about are FSG going to back Klopp, I just, I hate hearing that because they aren't, they don't. That's not how they work. Yeah, and I understand that and totally get that. Not their own money, all those things you can add to it. Wouldn't disagree for one second. And, the second quote we wanted to talk about, which has been taken in different ways by people, the Milner quote after the game where he talked about that, you know, Jurgen Klopp did want me to re-sign. However, you know, the club, as he called it, made it clear that wasn't going to happen. So it does kind of go against the, the premise, which is, and I'll say it's been thrown out as a theory in recent times that Jurgen Klopp is, you know, all-encompassing, you know, he makes all the decisions. It does go against that. Do you see that as like a bit of a, a positive, a reset, or is it just like too much being read into it that way? Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot you can say about that. I, I, nobody knows ultimately, you know, where the, the real power resides in these things. There's been theories about is Pep Linders in charge of, you know, the, the direction we're going? Is yeah. Klopp now holding the thing? And let, let's be honest, the complete speculation in both regards. I mean, the people say these things like the facts and there's there's just no way to know one way or the other. What you can do is look at the facts in the situation. The fact we have here is that Klopp wanted to sign a guy that's leaving. And uh, there were also facts around Gini Wanyaldum of the same sort of thing. He, Klopp said offer him it and the club declined to do so. Now there are countering facts of Henderson's contract, for example. I think it was pretty well publicised that the club didn't think it was wise to give him the new long-term deal and Klopp insisted that they did and the club obviously bent on that one and not this time. So how you kind of, how you decide who's got what saying, we don't ultimately even know who Klopp is, you know, who we're talking about here in the the opposing corner. Is it Gordon? You know, is it Ward? Is it a combination of all of those things? It's very, very difficult to say. I think all you can do is kind of look at the facts of it and say it's positive that Klopp hasn't been allowed to give Milner that new deal. Because, I mean, if you look at the South, Southampton game, just as a, an example, Milner does not have the legs to play in a Liverpool midfield anymore. He just doesn't. He's, yeah. he's potentially capable of coming on as a late sub to shore something up at very best. But that, that is ultimately it on the playing field. And even Henderson, you know, I'm, I've been a Henderson, you know, a fair Henderson kind of fan and critic through his time. I've, I've, I've gone both ways. And I think... Most people would agree now, if Henderson is starting in midfield next season, it's madness. And it's only for Klopp that, that we've still got him on this kind of long-term deal. Other other clubs like Liverpool who seek to you know be super successful 
they, they tend to shake hands and let these guys go, you know, when the time is right. I know there's exceptions here, mm-hmm. kind of Ryan Giggs or whatever, but you can go through all of these big clubs. I mean, look how City have kind of patted off your David Silvers and guys like that, you know, proper quality players, but they haven't let them hang around. They haven't let them linger into the point where half the, the, the fan base kind of debates whether they should be there at all. You know, they never let it get to that. It's potentially just kinder for the player anyway not to do that. You know, let the legacy remain. Um, I know I've kind of waffled a bit there, but to kind of come back to your question, I think it's positive that Klopp isn't just getting the the, the power to to let his his more loyal nature control what happens. Yeah, and then that's the hope I've taken from it, that... And listen, it's important to say James Milner is a legend. I don't care what anyone says. It's been brilliant for this football club as a free yeah. sign. You know, and as is Henderson, that. not all yeah. disparage him there. You know, yeah. there is a point for all of them. Absolutely, absolutely. But it is the right time for him to go. And I know people can talk about player coach roles, but he's been clear that he wants to still play. And obviously, all the signs are he's going to Brighton, where he'll have a almost a Willana like role. So it's the right deal. It's also pleasing to me that it shows there is a bit of, I don't know what the phrase is, not not autonomy from the top, but that people are still overruling Klopp when they don't think it's the right thing. Naturally, the manager should have, and he's earned you know, a right to have a large say. And he still, as all the stories are, will make the final call on the transfers. It's very much the situation seems to be now, or the suggestions are, that he'll tell the, the committee, let's call them that, the transfer committee, what he wants, they will crunch the stats, Schmacker, Fallows, Hunter, obviously Spearman in his new role. They will provide the list and Jürgen will pick, almost like a tapas menu, isn't it? Midfielders he might be going through at the moment, so to speak. Yeah. So picking them that way. But that's good. That still means you know, it's, a, it's a committee decision. I know the transfer committee has been a lambasted phrase, but I think it's important in this regard. And whether it is like you say, we don't know, Mike Gordon or whoever, I took it as a real positive. And, the last bit I really wanted to, to sort of end on or ask about, because it's a natural link, it's the, the hottest ticket in town, isn't it? The York Schmacka show is now arrived. Yeah. So from today, because it's the 1st of June, just to timestamp this, don't know when it will be released, but York Schmacka has started work today. So, I mean, already it's fascinating with Schmacker because like David Lynch and all the other British journalists, UK journalists have said, they're being told it is not a short-term deal. They've been really keen to reiterate that to us. However, the interviews from Schmatker and his homeland, you know, Germany, the other sort of German key press figures, etc., saying, no, it is, it is short-term. You know, they're going to sort of play it by ear and see how it goes. And I know Lynch said on Media Matters, you know, that that might well be the case. It's just a bit strange and interesting. They're briefing it this way, Liverpool. Being honest, and again, this is from your gut, we're sort of shooting the hip a little bit here. Do you think, A, is it short term? And B, even if it's a yes, is it because of someone else or is it a try before you buy, so to speak? I, th- I think that's a really good way of, uh, of phrasing it. I think it is a try before you buy this one. I do think it's with the intention of keeping him. I don't think it's, I don't think they think it's going to fail, if you will. I don't think they're just waiting for something better, but I do think they've given themselves that wiggle room. You know, they've given themselves yeah. that, you know, there are no guarantees here. Let's see how it goes with an optimistic kind of mind to it of hopefully it will. I think Klopp has clearly had a lot to do with this one. I mean, we we're just talking about like kind of Klopp's autonomy and who is in charge. 
it would it would seem a, an outrageous coincidence if someone Klopp was kind of famed for getting on very well with came in for Klopp not to have something to do with that. Um, so perhaps the club are just giving themselves that little room not to to kind of go all in on that um, in case maybe this recommendation is more Klopp's than the club's. Maybe even giving themselves that wiggle room in case, you know, they did have just someone else in mind who isn't available at the moment. Because yeah. it went on for quite a while. The, you know, the, the names weren't, weren't, weren't kind of flooding in. It, it was quite hard to kind of get anything on, on the topic. And, you know, we knew Ward was going and it, it was going to be imminent for someone coming in. It was surprising how quiet it all was on that front. And he kind of came left field, if we're honest. Um, so, yeah, I think they've given themselves a little wiggle room. I think it's a bit of try before you buy. However, my gut tells me that he'll still be here in a year or two. Yeah, I, I honestly think the same. I, I actually think, and people talked about it as, you know, is he, is he just a transfer consultant? But as you've been told, no, very much come in as that sporting director with Julian Ward moving on. I actually think, and this might, you know, might surprise, might be disagreement. I do think it's a wise move. If you look at Schmacker, reputational-wise, he's got a bit of a chequered history, hasn't he, in the Bundesliga? There's a few yeah. question marks against him. So, And it's a bigger step up. It's also a different role completely. Very much in Germany, as we know, the sporting directors are, are public figures. They do a lot of talking. You know, They make moves. They sort of play it that way. Whereas here, it's not a watching brief, but he's a, you know, He's not going to step in front of Klopp as the prominent figure, is he, very much? You know, we might not even hear from him at all. So it is going to be maybe that adaptation. It's, you know, Wolfsburg's to Liverpool's a hell of a jump, whatever anyone says. So there's a lot of things to factor in there, you know. And, and this is, you know, careful how I phrase this, but he's not the, the youngest guy, so it's going to be, you think, setting his ways with experience. So I think it's a wise try before you buy. It also gives them a feel, I think, for how he does business. Because ultimately, I think from what I'm surmising, Liverpool have already got this list, haven't they, before York Schmacker walked in the door. That seems pretty certain. They've worked on this. So now, there's almost a, right, there's the list. There's who I want York. It's almost like he's sent him out with a shopping list, doesn't he, around the the mall. Let me see your skills, mate. Let's see how good you are. Let's see how you can negotiate. And there's probably that bit, sad to say, but it's true. Mm -hmm. FSG saying, show us you can get value, drive prices down, get bargains, which people will say that's a negative connotation, but hell, isn't that what we love Michael Edwards for? Getting players, you know, I I think that is a huge part of it, what you've just touched on there. The fact that he's kind of known to be a bit of a prick, a bit of a a difficult guy to deal with. You know, you you can use that as a negative, but it's a positive when he's yours. The positive when, you you know, he's the one that's difficult to negotiate with. You know, you've heard these things about various guys over the years, um, Daniel Levy, you know, various guys, the Brighton guy, all all get this sort of reputation for being a difficult negotiator. And it tends only to to benefit the club that they represent. It's it's not a negative to be good at, to be bad, to be a strong negotiator. And it seems to me that that's the kind of character we're bringing in here. A guy who's not going to take bullshit, who's going to walk away if he needs to, who's going to be really hard and you know, face-to-face, a, a strong personality, you know, in in the sort of across-table discussions on transfers. I think that will be a large part of the thinking from FSG. This guy can potentially get us value for money. I agree. And also, I think he's got something that works in his favour because he's not like last summer where he's getting told, like, listen, 
it's too many or nothing type of thing. He's got a list to work with this time and he won't have to uh, Arthur Mello type scramble at the last <laughs> day type of thing as well. So well, yeah, I think, too soon. Yeah, I'm saying that now, who knows? But it is, set, it is set up for if you think absolutely to show what he could do. And fingers crossed, we are all loving Big York by the end of the window. So, ladies and gents, we have well and truly been round the houses in the final red alert of the season. So it only leads me to say a few things. Mark, pleasure as always, mate. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, Dave. Uh, not the best season, but uh, always a pleasure chatting about it with you. And hopefully as we go into next season, it's more positive. Uh, I, I look forward to the month where it's, where it's just all victories, champions, leagues again, you know, all, all, all the good stuff. Yeah, so it sounds like Mark's been drinking on a Thursday night. But there we go. Yeah, we uh, we did say with Red Alert, guys, we might revisit one in the summer. Naturally, we might well revisit one because, fingers crossed, it looks like something might actually be happening this summer in terms of transfers, off the field activity even. We didn't even mention investment this time, did we? We'll touch upon that. So Yeah, I'm going to have pre-season stuff to go through as well. Once the games start coming in, who's impressing, who's not? There there will be bits as as the window goes. 100%. So keep your eyes peeled, guys. But all that leaves us to say is thank you forever as listening. And that was the end of the season. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go... We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.